Welcome to Australia's Future with Tony Abbott. I'm Daniel Wilde from the Institute of Public Affairs. Australia is facing its most significant challenges since World War II. Geopolitical tensions are increasing. Cultural self-confidence is in decline. The values which define us, freedom, democracy, egalitarianism and sacrifice are being put to the test. Over this special podcast series, Tony and I discuss how Australia can survive and flourish in the decades ahead. Hello, Tony, and g'day to all of our listeners. It's wonderful uh, to be with you for another episode of Australia's Future. Uh, today is Thursday, 6th of October, and there's plenty to talk about, as always. Um, it's great to be joined uh, by Tony today. Tony, you can't see him, but he's looking a bit more casual today than usual, and that's because, uh, as is often the case, Tony's doing uh, the poly pedal uh, bicycle riding around uh, the nation and I'm told that today is a rest day so Tony's nice and relaxed as we're talking right now but I thought to kick off the discussion we'll be talking about uh, the Essendon saga and Andrew Thorburn and CPAC and uh, the voice referendum but to begin with I thought Tony can you share with us what you've been up to? Well thanks Dan yes uh, I'm having an unofficial rest day uh, it's uh, for the riders day five of the 2022 polypedal. The polypedal's been going since 1998. It's a long-distance bike ride, which I started back then. It's now led by Angus Taylor, who's a pretty serious rider. Um, over the years, we've raised $7 million for various good causes. Wow. Uh, the current beneficiary is Soldier On, which is working with uh, uh, military personnel as they transition into civilian life. Uh, it's not an easy transition, uh, if you've spent uh, half your life uh, in the armed forces, uh, it's like an extended family. Uh, going out into the wider world can be a bit of a culture shock. Uh, some of them have got uh, uh, various issues that they uh, have acquired in their service, particularly people who've seen serious combat. So Soldier On is there to help them with the transition. Uh, I suppose to be an ongoing extended family that understands what they've been through mm. and is with them every step of the way and that's who we're raising money for. So um, I'm delighted to still be able to do it, although I've got to say after doing something like 500 kilometres uh, on the push bike uh, in in uh, four days, uh, including wow. in the pouring rain yesterday, I'm uh, enjoying the rest day, Dan. Well, well earned, Tony, and, and- well, congratulations. And if people and listeners want to support Soldier On, how can they do that? Well, they can go onto the Soldier On website. So just Google Soldier On, the usual spelling, two separate words, and uh, uh, you'll be able to find the polypedal on the website and you can donate to the polypedal generally or you could find a writer who you might particularly want to sponsor and sponsor that individual and uh, Angus Taylor and I am in a competition to uh, see who raises the most. So <laughs> well, you maybe take this, your pick. <laughs> this might get you over the line. <laughs> oh, thank you, Tony. And how many more days do you have to go on this? Look, uh, uh, I'll be joining the ride this evening in Tamora and we then uh, go uh, by a rather circular route from Tamora to Canberra, finishing up on Sunday afternoon. Fantastic. No, Tony, it's a great, great course. So anyone who wants to support that, uh, look up Soldier On and feel free to support either Angus or Tony. Uh, no no prejudices here, so it's all for a great cause. Um, well, let's get into the the issues of, of the day and of the week. Uh, as I say, uh, today is Thursday, the 6th of October, which is significant because just two days earlier, 
uh, Andrew Thorburn, who was formerly the head of NAB Bank, uh, was appointed as CEO of the Essendon Football Club in the Australian Football League, uh, but then was forced to resign just 24 hours having been appointed to the role. Uh, He was effectively sacked for being a Christian. Uh, Thorburn, as many of you would know, is also chairman of the religious uh, Christian movement City on the Hill, and uh, they espouse what would be considered fairly traditional Christian views. And it was a statement put out by the Essendon board, and I'm just going to quote a little bit of that uh, as, as justification for his resignation, says, As soon as comments relating to a 2013 sermon from a pastor at the City of the Hill Church came to light, we acted immediately to clarify the publicly espoused views uh, on the organisation's official website, by the organisation they mean Essendon, uh, which are in direct contradiction to our values um, as a club, end quote. Um, the other critical point to make here, Tony, is the statement put out by Essendon also said uh, that they the, the views that they were referring to, which related to abortion and, and sexuality, uh, that Andrew Thorburn has not expressed those views personally and were made prior to him taking up his role as chairman. Um Phenomenal. What do you think, Tony? Essentially, um, it's, uh, first of all, discrimination against Christians, uh, which uh, I thought was, uh, if not illegal, certainly it's not right. Mm. Uh, And second, it looks very much like uh, double standards because I'm sure if uh, we were talking about someone who had an affiliation with a different faith, uh, there wouldn't have been anything like the same problem. Look, uh, plainly, uh, the zeitgeist, um, the mood of the moment, is deeply hostile to uh, Christianity, particularly orthodox, uh, relatively conservative Christianity. Um, It's extraordinary that Andrew Thorburn, who has always been a success in everything he's done, Uh, who previously ran a bank with some 35,000 staff and um, in no way did his personal religious views impinge upon the way he ran the bank or or on how he treated his staff. It's extraordinary uh, that someone should be denied the job he'd been offered just 24 hours earlier on the basis of something that was said by someone else nine years ago that this guy didn't even know about and had in no way endorsed. It's just wrong. Um, Frankly, uh, uh, the Essendon board should be ashamed of themselves and if they wanted to in some way redeem themselves, uh, they should go back to Andrew and say, look, uh, I'm sorry, Uh, we're sorry, we had a brain snap. Uh, Of course, in an inclusive club, uh, inclusivity includes Christians. Uh, You are not excluded from this club just because you happen to have uh, a firm Christian faith. And the other person who should hang his head in shame is Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews, who joined the lynch mob uh, over the last uh, day or so, um, referring to um, the views of um, Orthodox Christians as bigotry. Well, really and truly, um, if he wants to be the Premier of a diverse and inclusive state, uh, a little bit more generosity of spirits called for. 
Of course, and this is the man who, in lockdowns, closed the churches and the mosques and the synagogues. Um, so if you want to look anywhere for anti-religious, anti-Christian bigotry, then look no further than the Premier's office. Um, I'll read out a statement made by um, Andrew Thorburn on his... Uh, it was published on his LinkedIn page, um, and I'll just read out a couple of parts that he, he published after he was... Uh, well, he resigned, but effectively was sacked. Um, he says, People should be able to hold different views on complex personal and moral matters and be able to live and work together even with those differences and always with respect. Behaviour is the key. This is an all-important part of a tolerant and diverse society, end quote. I mean, what possibly is objectionable about that perspective? Look, Andrew Thorburn has precisely put what should be the position. Um, People are entitled to a personal view. They shouldn't be discriminated against on the basis of a personal view Um, which is in no way inconsistent with them doing uh, a professional job. Um, It's uh, absolutely extraordinary. Uh, And as I say, it's a total double standard because uh, we've seen already in the sports world uh, the different treatment of people who do things on account of Christian faith uh, to people who do things on account of another faith. And it's it's just wrong. And uh, I'm not at all surprised that uh, Archbishop Peter Comensoli has effectively torn up his Essendon ticket uh, because what the Essendon board have said is that Christians aren't welcome here. Um, Anyone who is publicly a Christian is not welcome here. Well, again, it's just wrong and they really need to have a good, long, hard look at themselves. Yeah, and just... I mean, just one more observation on this, and I was just saying to th- this to you before we were mm. recording that you know I'm really concerned that this is just you know another step in the direction, effectively, of the entire Bible uh, becoming unlawful under the rubric of hate speech because some people might be offended by some passages in it. Now I understand that uh, a literal reading of the Bible is not everyone's cup of tea, and that's that's fine. But surely, in a nation like Australia, founded on the Judeo-Christian ethic. Uh, we can recognise the centrality of of these ideas, whether it's the dignity of the individual, freedom, tolerance. These are all Christian ideas. Um, where does this end, Tony? How do how do we stop this? Well, the way to stop it is by calling it out when we see it. Yep. And I suppose by asking anyone who's offended by uh, Christianity to go back and have a good read of the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, because Honestly, um, lovelier words uh, and more decent and humane thinking would be pretty much impossible to find. And the reason why our society is uh, as as decent to minorities as it's ever been, uh, more decent to minorities uh, than any other societies, um, the reason why our English-speaking, um, broadly Judeo-Christian societies Uh, are so uh, easygoing and welcoming um, is because uh, we have this tradition uh, and we have been learning from this tradition and improving on this tradition um, for 2,000 years. Now, uh, we should respect that which has made us and nothing has made us more uh, than the Gospels. I think that parlays nicely into our next topic that I wanted to talk with you about, which is the CPAC conference, uh, because uh, well, this is a, an annual conference that's held in Sydney. 
Uh, CPAC stands for um, Conservative Political Action Committee. It's a US-based uh, uh, organisation, if you like, which uh, has been brought to Australia over the last few years. It was quite a big event held over Sydney. I had the opportunity to speak. You had the opportunity to speak. I think you gave the the speech probably alongside Jacinta Price that excited people uh, at that conference the most. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners were there or at least know about it. And um, there was a lot of, I think, a sense of uh, um, being under siege on the right at that conference. You gave a great speech and you basically outlined your vision for the philosophy of the Liberal Party and, and the centre-right, a great article um, in the Australian early this week on it. Um, can you give us your assessment of CPAC and, and what you talked about and what your thoughts were? Well, Dan, I was essentially reminding people that the Liberal Party is the Freedom Party, it's the Tradition Party and it's the Patriot Party. Uh, I accept that just at the moment uh, our party or my party uh, doesn't seem to be in the ascendant, but nevertheless, these are enduring ideas. These are powerful instincts with deep resonance uh, in the Australian people. And if I may uh, cite uh, the blessed Margaret Thatcher uh, and her statement that the facts are conservative, sooner or later, mm. um, some of the things that vex us uh, will end. Um, eventually, uh, the facts will trump uh, perverse thinking and mistaken ideology. Um, for instance, uh, I am confident uh, that those who currently engage in routine bouts of cultural self-loathing uh, would change their mind if they suddenly were confronted with the prospect of living under a different mm. uh, kind of uh, government to liberal democracy. I'm confident that the people who are currently obsessed with carbon dioxide emissions will change their mind uh, when we can't keep the lights on mm. uh, as a result of policies based on that uh, that that obsession. Mm -hmm. So, look, I think sooner or later uh, these, I think, extremely attractive instincts that are at the heart uh, of the Liberal Party of Australia's thinking uh, will reassert themselves uh, and uh, and will win out at the ballot box. Yeah, it's a good observation. And one of my th observations about CPAC, it's really the base of the base that is there. Uh, these are people that are sort of, I guess, ahead of the curve in terms of the, the thinking of what's happening. And there's a real angst about the direction of the coalition, uh, coupled with concern about the Labor government. And one of the observations I made was this Labor government in Canberra is more radical than Whitlam. They're smarter than Whitlam. Uh, but we don't as yet have a Joe Bielke-Peterson to bring it down. And um, if we have three or six years of this government, you've got The Voice, Republic, Bill of Rights, but not a good kind of Bill of Rights, Anti-Corruption Commission, uh, and Net Zero and Energy Policy. I mean, Australia could be fundamentally transformed and not in a good way. Um, so I'm, I, I think that we need to keep the coalition uh, on its focus, but then also prosecute the case against the government. And, and the point I, I made is that uh, um, in opposition, uh, it's important to oppose bad policy based on the things we stand for. And in government, it's important to propose good policy based on the things we stand for. And uh, as I outlined in my remarks to CPAC, um, the so-called uh, Anti-Corruption Commission, 
I think, uh, is an extremely problematic and perilous exercise. Uh, the voice will divide us by race and is wrong in principle as well as being bad in practice. And becoming a republic uh, will not fix any of the problems that we currently grapple with, and it certainly would be a leap into the constitutional unknown and an act of cultural vandalism, mm. in my view. Uh, I mean, the Crown has been with us every step of our journey as a nation. Uh, it's been with us uh, ever since 1788. It hasn't stopped us from becoming uh, a free, fair and prosperous country with a distinct Australian identity. Uh, why should we become some dreary republic uh, with a president uh, picked like a politician as opposed to a governor-general uh, appointed like a judge to represent the Crown? Mm. Well, not only has uh, our status as a, as a constitutional monarchy not prevented us from becoming a free and prosperous nation. It's enabled us, I would argue, to become a free and prosperous nation. Exactly right. It's no coincidence that uh, seven out of the ten uh, freest and fairest societies on this planet uh, are constitutional monarchies of one sort or another. Yes. Now, uh, um, the great thing about uh, having the crown in the constitution is that it provides a focus of unity and stability, which is above and beyond politics. And uh, I think we've we've seen something of the magic of the monarchy uh, over the last month or so associated with the passing of Queen Elizabeth uh, and the accession of King Charles. Now, um, quite different people, uh, and yet uh, Queen Elizabeth lived an extraordinary life of duty and service uh, and was really a fixture mm. in our public life. Uh, and I'm confident that now that he's finally ascended to the throne, King Charles will turn out to be very much his mother's son. And again, uh, although his reign is certainly not going to be as long, he will be a symbol of stability and continuity in our public life. Yes, no, I, I completely agree. And I think it's important that we... You know, keep uh, keeping the pressure on and and talking about the challenges that this this government may may pose to the future of Australia. You mentioned the voice, and the voice was one of the main topics of discussion. I think almost every single speaker there talked about the voice, and with very good reason. Um, as our members would know, we have a long line of research at the Institute of Public Affairs on the voice. We recently put up a research video featuring Senator Jacinta Price, uh, Senator James McGrath and leading academic and public intellectual Dr. Anthony Dillon just outlining their views on The Voice. As we do with all of our research videos, we put that on Facebook and as we attempt to do with all of our research videos, we uh, wanted to promote that uh, so it can reach as many Australians as possible. Uh, Facebook banned us from doing that. Uh, they d banned us from doing that six times. Um, so... This is a, a large and growing issue, the capacity of those who oppose the voice to be able to promulgate their, view, their views in the public domain. Um, Tony, I just want to ask you, what's your perspective on, on big tech and Facebook and the way in which they may be influencing this and other issues? There's a serious problem, Dan, with politically correct censorship by big tech 
and this is just another illustration of it. Uh, obviously, uh, um, former President Trump uh, was a highly contentious figure and said and did many things that people could quite rightly object to, but the idea that Trump should have been banned and remains banned mm. from some social media platforms is just bizarre, Yep, absolutely bizarre. Uh, for all Trump's faults and failings, uh, he is a former president of the United States. Uh, he's a former leader of the free world. Why should he be banned when the people who run Iran, a brutal theocracy, are permitted? Mm. It's just wrong. And again, uh, it's part of the politically correct double standards that we see rampant in society right now. Yeah, it is. And I, I liken it a bit to the butcher when he's weighing your meat and he puts the, the fingers on the scale uh, to increase the weight a little bit. I think that that's what big tech is doing uh, right now to a lot of debates in our country. But I'm really concerned about um, un- undue influence on the actual voice referendum. Uh, you know, We know that the corporates support it, the media elites support it, uh, the universities and academics support it. And now one of the last conduits that mainstream Australians have to communicate their views is seemingly being closed off to them. Um, I'm, I'm deeply concerned about what this means for the legitimacy of the actual referendum I, itself. I, I think you're right to be concerned, Dan, but let's think back to the 1999 Republican referendum. Mm. Every single newspaper in the country was campaigning for a republic, uh, to the best of my recollection. Not even the papers that normally support uh, conservative or centre-right causes were supporting the retention of the Crown back then, and yet... When it came to a vote, uh, the common sense of the Australian people prevailed and uh, the Republican proposal at that time was defeated roughly 55 to 45. So we should not despair, but we should also be aware of just how difficult this fight will be and also just how important the fight will be because if this thing goes through, not only uh, will we have two classes of Australians uh, Uh, Indigenous Australians who can trace their ancestry back tens of thousands of years uh, and everyone else who came uh, subsequent to 1788. Not only will we have more gummed up government, but essentially we will be going down the path of co-governance, which is already happening in New Zealand, where nothing can really happen uh, without the explicit consent uh, of the descendants of the original inhabitants. Now, I certainly think we should honour the descendants of the original inhabitants. I think we should certainly be proud of the fact that we do have an Indigenous heritage as a country, but the idea that 3% more or less of the population should be exercising a veto over what happens to everyone just doesn't make sense and it is dead wrong. We should not make this dreadful mistake uh, on an abundance of goodwill. Um, And this is what the proponents of The Voice are trying to do. They're trying to tell us that if you want to do the right thing by Indigenous people, you've got to support this thing because that's what they want. Well, um, we should not, uh, out of decency and politeness, make a dreadful mistake and that's what this would be. Yeah, and I was yesterday I had the opportunity to talk with Dr. Anthony Dillon and we're releasing another research video on this. And he made the really good point that there's more we have more in common 
they're not as you know between non-indigenous and indigenous Australians the basic building blocks of a building blocks of a dignified and flourishing life are not contingent upon your skin color exactly right exactly right and and look uh, you know all of us are a mixture let's face it um, we all have if you like multiple identities uh, and we all have multiple strands that have come in uh, to make us uh, um, you know genetic strands cultural strands um, experiential strands mm, mm. Uh, and uh, the important thing is that everyone is given a fair go uh, and hopefully everyone will have a go and that's the way that we will rub along in the most successful possible way as Australians. Yep, absolutely. No, Tony, thank you for the discussion today. And um, just as a reminder to everyone, if you want to contribute to the very worthy cause of uh, Soldier On, uh, you can go to their website and make a contribution. Again, whether you want to make it to Angus Taylor or Tony Abbott is up to you. Uh, but there's only one of those two that has a podcast with the IPA. So, um, Tony, thank you very much for your time and uh, good luck on your travels. Thanks, Dan. This is a production of the Centre for the Australian Way of Life at the Institute of Public Affairs. To find out more, visit australia.ipa.org.au.